1: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Welcome back to the
2: Winning Plays Podcast with Brian Robb. I am Rich Levine. Jeff Teague is an NBA champion. B-Rob, can you believe it? If there's, anyone, if there's anyone at the beginning of this season, especially for the first couple of weeks in Boston, the first month or so, that I looked on the court in green and said, that is an NBA champion. It well, was
1: Jeff Teague, so I'm just
2: happy to see him get what he deserves.
1: I mean, it's it's just reflective of opening night for the Celtics when he couldn't miss a shot from three against the Bucks, no less. That was and like his now, tryout. Who knew, right? His that... tryout. And then he had, you know, two really important minutes in, in Game Six there. And, and I know people do crap. I mean, again, he had no impact in this series. I'm um, really, but I will give him this: like they beat Game Six in Game Six with Giannis out against the Hawks. Like he actually gave them like 13 points in 10 minutes or something like that. So he, to win that series and get Giannis some rest. So like, he he was not the guy anyone wanted him to be in Boston. He was pretty much not that guy either for the Bucks. but he did come through at least in one game where it mattered. So props to Jeff T.
2: Yeah, you know, yes, exactly. I, listen, I think he, he made it. he's made an all-star game in the NBA, played 12 years in the NBA, played pretty damn well for a lot of those years. If anyone, I mean, I if anyone, he earned it. Right, he he deserves whether or not he earned it for <laughs> over his thirty-four games in Boston. I don't think there's much debate on that. But good for Jeff Teague, a dozen years in the league. Any guy who who lasts that long and carves out a career like that deserves to uh, to celebrate with a ring. So good for you, Jeff. Congrats to the Bucks. I don't of, of all the teams in the East, I think that that could have won it this season. I think that's like the 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 Milwaukee is like the least depressing, like the least emotional for the Celtics. I think we get like everyone can agree. Giannis is a pretty good
1: dude. Like it was good to see him win. Uh, Are you forgetting about you forgetting about the Drew Holiday pursuit though? Does that does that sting at all?
2: No. No. Nothing stinging
1: right now. That's right cuz it's like at least about the Bucks. Right. Yeah. It is no. It is, in terms of like the team building standpoint, you know, like you said, it's it's not Philly, it's not, not Brooklyn. Brooklyn. It's a even team. Mi- that... Ha- even Miami. Yeah, Miami, you know, exactly. Like and and again, it's an example of like okay, this is the model for what the sellers are going to have to do, or you have a couple of stars in place and then you hit on some low budget free agent signings, whether it's, you know, Portis or, or Forbes. And yeah, you spent all your chips on a big third guy and drew holiday. And again, you find,
2: you find PJ Tucker
1: mid season mid-season with whatever you have left hanging around. And then you get some luck in the playoffs with, with injuries and stuff. Yeah. And so that's, again, that's, a, that's Sellers playbook going forward here pretty much.
2: And, and again, and there's not, and we will see what happens with, I don't even know. I guess we'll see what happens with Brooklyn, like if they, if they can keep it together. But you look again, I, I imagine the Bucs will probably be the favorites to repeat. I mean, it's probably out there already. I haven't checked yet. But like the league is still pretty wide open again next year. I know Clay will be back. So like the Warriors will start to look a little bit like themselves, but old in capital letters. They are, you know, three, four years removed from, from their best. And that's without KD. Uh, so, you know, when you look at the makeup of the league and who the contenders are, you have two of the best players in the league in the Jays, and that's a pretty good start. So, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it's always too bad when a team other than Boston wins the title, but I, I, it could be a lot worse than, than the Milwaukee bucks.
1: All right. So we have things coming up quickly here, Rich. We have the draft next week. We have free agency starting in 10 days. And it's again. We we'll see. Wick Rosebeck said they're going to have a very busy summer. Um, as of a, not, he didn't say fireworks, but just very busy. Um, so we'll see again what happens next week, draft week, in terms of trades with other parts of the roster, and then who they go after in free agency. And we'll be covering all that. But we have a little bit of a treat here today, Rich. We have a, a, a guest on Jake Fisher, uh, who wrote a really great book that came out, I want to say three or four months now uh, ago, built to lose how the NBA's taking era changed the league forever, but has a lot of interesting Celtics nuggets in there about the tanking Era. Great stuff all about the bucks, the Sixers, Pelicans, Kings, all these teams in the last five or 10 years. Um, so we're going to talk to Jake about that. We're going to talk to Jake about again, this whole Southwark's off season since he's been reporting plenty of stuff around the team as well. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm tired sure. of talking to you rich. So it's like, let's, let's get someone in here. Uh, action. All right. Now we are joined by the one and only Jake Fisher, who is been killing it all summer long as uh, reporting for Bleach Report and also has a, a brand new book that's been out for a few months now, but is definitely a great summer read. It's called built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed. Um, we'll get more on the book later because um, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, including a lot of stuff that connects back to the Celtics, but First off, Jake, you look uh, freshly tan here off of a little vacation. Uh, despite working hard all summer, how's it going?
0: It's been good. You know, the uh, the one luxury of the job is also the, uh, the the peril of it being that you can do it from anywhere. So you're kind of always <laughs> on the clock, but kind of always off at the same time. So
2: it's, were you uh, working? We heard you met, you met your girlfriend's parents. Were you working at their house? I that- did.
0: I actually, I think broke one of the coaching hires. I broke while like standing there in their kitchen while like making lunch plans for the day and i was like hold on one second not to you that's know that's kind of a power move horn too much but
2: yeah <laughs> yeah you can impre- impress the parents with that breaking yeah. news while you're at their house
1: yeah
0: doing this job is definitely um it's always good conversation fodder when he meets someone for the first time you know
1: yeah earn points me like it's pretty impressive impress the parents with the yeah i'm just breaking a story here no big deal um but yeah, so Jake, we I guess we you've been on top of, I feel like, all the coaching searches this summer, if you're reporting a pledge report, but you have, you know, most recently reported um, on Imei Udoka's couple recent hires out of Portland. It seems like, is it fair to say it's going to be an all Portland staff here for, for Udoka out of the gate based <laughs> off of how he's going here? And what's um, what's your read in terms of what he's trying to do with his, uh, his staff right now out of the gate?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be entirely Portland people, but that seems to be an early theme for at least, you know, the major players on the front of his bench. I know there's definitely a lot of talk still that they're looking to bring out. Like there's no, I think Jared Weiss wrote this yesterday. There's no like definitive answer yet that Will Hardy is going to be like the lead assistant guy, yep. lead associate head coach. There was talk for a while. Alvin Gentry might, might be a name they're looking at. Um, but I don't, th- I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So I think there's still, you know, changes to be made and people to be added. I know they- they're bringing on um, uh, a player development guy out of Philly's video room. I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I-, I think it seems to me, I think the biggest takeaway, look around the league, like a lot of front offices are just telling their head coach, this is going to be your staff. And it seems like Brad's been very collaborative with EMA in doing so. And I I honestly, I don't, I don't share too many opinions out there, but uh, I'm I'm a fan of that perspective. I think that's, you know, the best collaborative way to to build a, 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 this is a team after all, you know, everyone needs to be working together at a certain point.
2: What are you hearing on the, uh, the, you talked about the front office, about the cell, about Boston's front office. Are they interviewing anyone, whether it's for like a GM position or, Any number of other positions within the front
0: office? No, I haven't checked on it in a little bit, but the last I heard was definitely that the Landry Field stuff still seems to be um, having momentum. I don't know how you want to phrase it. Uh, It hasn't gone away. Um, I think, you know, definitely um, Allison Feaster is someone who's going to play a prominent role, it sounds like, and she was the only person – along with Brad and ownership in interviews with head coaches and definitely in Eme's final interview and all that type of stuff. And I know, I mean, anyone around that team, Brian knows that you know, that, that, that front office has been probably the smallest in the league for decades now. It's been Danny Ainge and his kind of his, his, his homies. And that's great. Like it worked for a long time, but clearly, you know, things took a different turn. And I think Brad is definitely looking to add in some new flavors and some new voices and, you know, also kind of diversify the background of the people that he's working with as well.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, like you said, The and I think you were one of the first to report on Landry Fields out there as a potential candidate, you know, way back when this change first started. But it seemed, I mean, at this point, we're, we're a couple of weeks, we're a week away from the draft. I would imagine any of these changes, they're, they're going to come after this offseason, it seems like at this point. It's clear that, you know, just from talking to you, it's like you're not going to make a big change like that this close to the draft yeah. and free agency, so maybe this is. It kind of seems like Brad's gonna probably look at what he has right now. Um, you know, he, he obviously knows these guys in the front office very well, and but they can have collaborated with them forever. But then maybe he's just gonna use this how things go this off season and then start use it as not a valuation tool, but figure out okay, who else do you know might potentially supplement this? Um, yeah. Is that kind of what you kind of see in terms of from the people you talk to?
0: Yeah, I think that's across the board. There's a lot of talk of, like, after the draft, after the draft. And I think also it's interesting, like, when the when the move first happened, right, like, a lot of people on the league were – I mean, everyone expected Ainge to, to, to exit stage left, right? But most people were shocked by the Brad news. And yeah. the, the immediate reaction to a lot of people was, like, well, what does this mean for Mike Zarin? And then the talk – pretty quickly was, oh, well, Zarin's going to be, like, the shadow operator guy. He'll be the one pulling the strings, and Brad will be the figurehead. But that does not sound like it at all right now. It really does sound like Brad is, you know, the engine driving this thing. And I think he'll he'll probably – he seems to be someone – we can talk about this later – now in the book but you know when he first got that coaching job back in 2013 brad seems to be someone who likes to ask a lot of questions and reach out to people who he thinks are smart and wants to get their opinion on things before he you know really establishes you know what he's actually trying to do and i think that's kind of been what's mirrored here so far i think you know, the slowness the gradual process um just kind of taking it a day at a time seems to be the way he's kind of been operating so far
2: do you think you mentioned the surprise at when Brad was, was named to, to his current position? I, I, I don't expect you necessarily have the, the definitive answer to this, but like, at what point do you think like, Wick and the ownership actually consider that that might be the future of this organization? Was it like Danny starts to hint, like, okay, I'm kind of, guys, I'm kind of wearing down. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And then they're like, shit, what are we going to do? We're like, oh, you know, we kind of... Because my, my feeling is that they felt that they needed a change at head coach right? Like, yeah. even though they had just signed Brad to that extension, after the way the season went, and the way that Brad was feeling too, probably, but like, I think ownership wanted a head coach, and maybe it was somewhat convenient uh, and helpful, you know, to not have to pay a bunch of money to Brad if you're going to part ways with him, after you just signed him to the extension, you have this opening. Do you think there's anything to that that it just might have been, I don't know, like a perfect storm of kind of saving face and kind of simplifying the whole transition process?
0: I, I definitely think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, anybody around the NBA you talked to at the, around that time, you know, the consensus was this doesn't happen overnight. And then I talked to someone who, you know, I, I trust who talked to Brad right after the bubble. And, you know, the, the, I think Woj was the first to kind of report this. Like, Brad definitely was telling people openly. He was burnt out from the grind. And I think, you know, the more I get deeper into the league, the more it, it seems pretty apparent that, the NBA is a mess and it's, I mean, every single organization has infighting and people with conflicting agendas and, you know, people who are trying to push themselves forward in this whole, you know, basketball world, whether that be monetarily, whether that be, you know, legacy wise, whatever. And being the head coach in that environment, while it's, you know, a great job for a lot of people, it's also one of the more taxing and one of the more thankless ones too. Like, When you're Nate McMillan and you come in and you save the franchise, you're, you know, you gain a lot of influence. You gain a lot of power. Same with Tom Thibodeau in New York. But if you're a head coach who is is holding the reins of a team that, you know, falls below expectations, you can get fired as the scapegoat pretty easily, right? And, you know, players come to you and complain to you about their minutes or whatever. Like, I think – that is not what's happening in college. You know, when, when you're, you know, this global kind of name at a little dinky school, like Butler, no offense to Butler, like you're kind of the guy who everyone comes to you. You got to make sure coach is all right. You know, is coach happy, blah, 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 blah. And I think, you know, after years of going through the Kyrie Al Horford, Gordon Hayward stuff, mixing in with, you know, had a cute little rebuild building for a while, all of a sudden the switch flipped and they were in this contending mode with Mercurial guys like we just mentioned and expectations and I think all that kind of did blend to the perfect storm like I mentioned where he's got this big deal now definitely I mean I don't know definitively why Danny wanted to part ways but it seemed like there is mutual interest on all parties for him to take a step back and a step out and, and Brad not wanting to necessarily be I mean, I think it was kind of communicated to me that everyone involved with Boston kind of understood and wanted Brad to still stick around, but not in that role. And where is he going to go besides taking, you know, he's being paid that much money. And he is so respected for his basketball mind by ownership. It seemed to be just like there is the only one place for him to move, which is taking over Danny spot.
1: It is. It's just just a wild change of events in terms of where this team was at, even a year ago. I mean, like, obviously the Kyrie situation, was what it was but then you know they were maybe a gordon and hayward ankle injury away from the nba finals a year ago and now for you know everything for this season was not a true disaster for a franchise but like that the free agent signings obviously did not work out i think brad was clearly frustrated jeff-
2: jeff Teague's NBA, champion. Jeff Teague's
1: nba champion we know that so i mean everything worked they gave away jeff teague you know we, we say what what happened to him they gave away tice just to get out of the tax so it's like the, the Hayward situation I think everyone knows that that was not you know probably managed the way they wanted in terms of the signals yeah. that that he was probably going to be out the door but they were acting like they could have a chance of resigning him to the end so you wonder how much all that factored into Brad's frustration this year and like to add if he was already burnt out at the end of the bubble like he had talked about what then what this past year for him must have clearly sent him over the edge but then it makes me wonder Jake too like then you hear all the Indiana basketball buzz during the year too, that he had to address that uh, there was some, you know, real s- smoke there. It seemed like for a little bit until he, he eventually, you know, cried down with that, you know, probably happened around the same time. This all maybe started to, yeah. to turnover happen within the organization. So it is the, the inside story of all that. I'm sure we're going to hear more about it in the years to come, but it is that chain of events. It seems to be really fascinating.
0: Yeah. I, just like you said, I, I don't have it definitively, but I would suspect that the Indiana stuff is right along when these contract, you know, what are we going to do here? What's our next exit strategy for you? whatever? I think that seemed to have lined up definitely. And
2: then what's gonna happen? We talked we talked about, you know, after the draft, right? Everyone's saying after the draft. And then you have you have Danny's homies, right? That 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 you mentioned <laughs> who are working hard, working on this. And then is it like, hey, you you, you just helped us through this offseason and potentially parting ways or is it just like is it, is it that? Like, Austin, thanks, you know? Dave, thanks. It
0: be, yeah, it could be. Like, the NBAs can be ruthless and cutthroat. Like, Portland, when they let go of Terry, you know, they brought in all the coaching staff one day into a conference room and just said, you're all gone. And that, that's happened in, you know, a lot of situations where, you know, an executive comes in, they go through the draft, and they just fire everybody after the draft. Like, Minnesota did that Um Rose's rosas when he took over, um, it's possible. I don't know. You know, there's so much conflicting hearsay about Austin and Zaren and Dave, um, which I'm sure they're, they're on one main basis with all your listeners with how, you know, parochial, uh, you know, the Boston sports scene is. But, um, you know, there, there's definite rumblings that there'll be changes and that a lot of those guys, maybe all of them, maybe some of them might not be there moving forward, which would be, you know, of course, a pretty drastic swap from the way things have run there since what I think Danny got hired in 2003. Yep. So it's uh, yeah, there could be some, some, some more changes definitely happening to the fabric of that organization. I think in the next couple months or so, definitely.
1: It's um, what are you hearing in terms of, you know, they obviously cleared out their first round pick um, with, to get rid of Kemba's contract uh, for Al Horford and Moses Brown, Brad wasting no time to pull off that move, which I think kind of shows you where he was with like probably maybe the campus signing in the first place um, or just, you know, that fit obviously after this past season Um, I'm interested to like your perspective. I, I think there's two ways they can go about this right now. They can, you know, extend some guys in this roster, bring back Fournier, you know, try to bring in some veteran pieces and, and make a run out next year. Or I think there's a case to be made to say, Hey, let's kind of keep our op- options open for long term. Let's not commit all this money for the future beyond what we have to Brown and Tatum right now, um, just to see what we can do to so we don't get you know tied up anywhere. Um, what what do you think the mentality is in terms of how Brad, Brad's handling this? And I guess obviously it probably will depend on what's the front office in place after the draft here, like and what and how they kind of view what this organization has right now.
0: Yeah. I think there's definitely expectation on the league that they're going to bring back Fournier. And uh, a lot of it is kind of just, they're not like like giving up Gordon Hayward for that and, and not, um, and and maybe, you know, this is the, looking at things through this lens is where people make mistakes in, in this business, but, you know, using that trade exception and giving up more assets just yeah. to get him for a second round picks. picks. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think it'd be viewed as a, as a disaster to not resign him, honestly. Um, and, but it's
2: someone and, else's disaster, at least in Brad's case, right? Exactly. That makes it easier. It would be harder for Danny to do it. Brad can kind of be like, okay, I need to just wash my hands of of what Danny exactly. was doing down the stretch.
0: Exactly. That was going to be my point. So I don't Sorry know. Sorry about if... that. No, no, no. no, 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 no. All right. um, I don't. So I don't know if that's going to be – you know, an opportunity for him to really pivot and say, look, this is I put my stamp on this organization. Like, this is what I'm doing now. Um, but at the same time, like Fournier, they made that deal because he is kind of like the perfect archetype to play alongside those two wings, right? He's another malleable guy who can switch a little bit defensively and he shoots and he's got some secondary creation ability. Like, that's what you kind of want around those guys. And I think, um, I don't think his market's going to be like too crazy. There's younger guys and much more splashier names out there. I think Boston will have an opportunity to to bring him back on a number that's not too high, like something between 12 to 16 annually. I think that's a pretty fair deal for someone like him. There's definitely a lot of talk about the point guard situation. Um, you know, I've heard, you know, Jalen Brown is someone teams are definitely looking at to like try and see if he's available. I don't think he really is, but it makes sense, right? Like there's all the speculation that happens on local radio about, are you going to fire Brad? Are you going to trade one of these guys? Like that happens on the league too. And I think, um, you know, they, they seem to have really established that that's not necessarily where they're going with though. I think they bring, bringing in Jalen and, and, and Tatum, with this Ime hire, like, it seems like they really did consult with him and, and his relationship with those two guys was a big factor. Um And, and we, we see this, we're seeing this trend all around the league now, where these former players who ha- apparently can relate well to, to the players of today. Right. That's what the notion is with Chauncey and same with Jamal Mosley, you know, Ime definitely seems to be someone who has a uh, characteristic. Him. I don't think they do without, you know, committing to these two guys. So I think that just trying to find more opportunities to benefit those guys and and take off, and as much as you want to empower them with what they're, you know, giving the ball in their hands and allow them to create, I think you want to also find people who can help take off the pressure and put those guys off ball and and use them coming off the screens and stuff like that.
1: Let's hear from our sponsor, Bet Online, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action – we know baseball season's in full swing right now. They just got out of the all-star break, but you can get odds on that. NBA, off-season stuff, NHL, UFC, real-time updated odds and props, almost anything you can imagine. So before things get going, we know you want to make some summer league bets, Rich, too. So before you oh, do cool, that, of course. Yeah. head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can use the promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's BetOnline, Online, your online sports experts.
2: That's funny because you talk about that, like, like the approach for many teams with hiring new coaches this year. And then you look at the NBA champions. I mean, I feel like my whole, I say my respect for the position, but I, I'm going to obsess a lot less about NBA head coaches after watching Coach Bud. Now become an NBA champion after some of the moves. And great, he's a great. I think he's a great offensive mind. He had a great defense in Atlanta as well. Not the great greatest in game adjuster. You wouldn't expect him to relate to players on the level that some of these former players do. And it goes out and wins a title. It's uh, it's just an interesting sort of caveat to to the uh, you know. Yeah the new rules of what it takes to, to have a winning team in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, kudos to, Butt. like, he did that with rampant speculation up until, even when they were down two up, like there was all these, there was still rumors like, Oh, you know, maybe he'll get fired.
2: He so, should leave. He should walk out. He could go out on top. That's yeah. the best move that he could do right now. Cause they still want him out. I think, don't they? I mean, the, the wins are <laughs> win, but like, it can only, you know, the lust we're aware of soon enough. He could go get any job he wants, retire as a champ, And then, uh, I don't know, save some face.
0: There's one thing I'll say. Winning is a really powerful drug. Really powerful drug. And, you know, you see Giannis running up to him post-game, slapping him on the chest and saying, you know, we're going to do it again next year. I think he's probably okay. (laughs) He's got to
1: get that extension signed right now is what he has to do um, after that. Um, You brought up, you know, the coaches around the league that were hired this offseason. Obviously, a lot of guys that relate to players do – from What you've heard, um, Udoga is just as a, as a recruiter, we know obviously the Lamarcus Aldridge story. But I wonder, is that something do you think that though the Celtics will real realistically try to tap into like right away, even potentially this offseason with you know probably half the Spurs roster like as range? I'm not sure how many of those guys they'll be interested in to in terms of fits, but do you think he could be, you know, at least from a face of the franchise standpoint, a thing? Okay, we know that they're. The front office might not be set yet, but okay, like this is going to be our the guy that we're going to send into meetings and at least you know try to help recruit when we don't have you know much to spend on anyone yet.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think you know Boston's going into big time for agent meetings this summer. Like, I don't think that's really mm-hmm. in the cards or the goal. And they're still pretty, you know, they traded Tice to avoid the tax, right? They're still flirting with that line. I don't think they're going to be making any th- drastic splashes here. I could be wrong, but I think long term. Email and, and that, that former player, you know, being able to relate to these guys, hold them accountable while also kind of being buddy buddy with them. I think that's more at maximizing your roster rather than using that in free agent meetings. Like, I don't think Teron Liu is considered to be um, like the best at this, right? That's what, you know, he was hailed for in 2016 with LeBron. And that's why the Clippers elevated him last year. But he's not like going in meetings, and he's the reason why players are coming to play for the Clippers, right? Like he's just there to kind of be like the big brother type figure that can sit these guys down and be like, "I've been in your shoes," blah 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 blah. So I think that's more of where that like dynamic and those characteristics play a factor, and just like being able to look Tatum and Jalen Brown in the face and say, "Like I played in the league, like I know what's going. I know. I, I know I've been there. I-, I got you, buddy." Even though he wasn't a star, there wasn't a Chauncey Billups. He still, like, played for the Spurs, and, you know, people respect veterans and people who have came before them, and that's why, you know, you see Jared Dudley's on the bench in the 15th man type role or J.J. Barrea type stuff, like that veteran leadership type figure. I think now that's just being valued in, in the coaching role to be able to – I mean, the, the players now have more power than ever before, and I think maybe this is a potentially a mechanism too for front offices who aren't there on a day-to-day, or who don't look like the players, right? Most of the front office is our nerdy white guys. So maybe this former player type figure is also someone who can kind of be more of like an intermediary and more of like a, a synergetic piece um, between kind of the front office and the players too. Uh,
2: before we get to the book, how long is the LaMarcus Aldridge story? Because I have not heard it yet.
0: Basically, I, I mean, he was a Spurs assistant and, like, was supposed to be a big factor in helping to bring LaMarcus to San Antonio. Like, they had a really great relationship. Okay. They played one
1: year together in Portland or something like that? Think,
0: like I think they played together at least one year. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was like that guy we are just talking about, the Jared Dudley, the veteran at the end of the bench who had his wisdoms and his process and whatever that, like, LaMarcus really gravitated towards. And then when he was an assistant in San Antonio, apparently played a big factor in helping bring him there.
1: All right, and we're going to get to the book in a second here, but I guess, the and this will actually lead us in the book since we'll, we'll finish off talking about Brad here, but I'm, as it relates to this offseason, this next feature, I'm just fascinated to see, again, he, Brad coached these guys, and there's a lot of young guys on this roster, and we know, obviously, Jalen and Jason Pryor going anywhere, but even, like, I think Marcus Smart is another name this offseason that's going to be like, okay, what what is going to happen with him? Because even if they decide to keep him, and if they don't extend him from right here, he's not going to be a happy camper. Um, so...
0: He wants to get paid, for sure. He definitely,
1: Yeah, he certainly does. Um, so it's going to be – it's it's rare you see just, you know, obviously any coach be elevated into this position, but particularly a coach who has worked with these guys for two, three, four, five years. So, I mean, from that standpoint, from what you're hearing, like whether it's smart or just, you know, some, maybe there's a ton of younger guys on this roster. I'd imagine some consolidation is going to be in play this offseason, particularly since, you know, there are obviously it's a ton of money to spend in free agency. Yeah. But – do you feel like those moves could be made anyway, or do you think like they'll settle, they'll kind of wait and see obviously after the deal Fournier and, and try to get the ducks in a row with whatever the new, you know, however the structure is going to look like in the front office before kind of dealing with that.
0: I think part of the smart situation is that he's been very aware that he's been their best trade ship for, you know, a long time now. And his name has been in trade rumors after trade rumors, after trade rumors. Right. Like, and I think, Part of that also is that Ainge's staff like definitely valued him very high, and and I mean obviously he's such an integral part of what Boston's done ever since they drafted him, and he's probably had more of a role and an impact in Boston than he would have had in any other team, based off of like like he's not I mean he was a number six pick in that draft and was con- considered to be like a future All Star type player, but he's just not. He's a sixth man, but for a sixth man to have as much. To be as much of the heartbeat of that franchise for so long is pretty rare, I think, in the NBA. So I think that dynamic, obviously, Brad has valued him, right? He's put him in, you know, he's gone to battle with him for the lack of, you know, less cliche expression, uh, like time and time again. And I think that's, you know, going to be... Projected into how he views him as a front office executive too, but at the same time, right? Like if you are trying to upgrade your team, this is a business. He remains the best asset for Boston. If it's a sign and trade or whatever, I don't know if the cap off the top of my head. Like if that's allowed based off of a situation, but I think it's necessarily like he's still necessarily their best opportunity to improve in some aspect. And there's definitely Marcus Smart uh, fans around the league, so. Um, the young guys, I think there's been talk that Brad has not been as thrilled, but with, with the, the early, the, the, the latter draft picks, if you will, (laughs) Um, like Carson Edwards, you know, never sniffed anything. Um, Tremont waters never really became much. And I think, you know, Nesmith obviously kind of got some burn at the end of last season. And I think that's a, a, a precursor of what's to come, but, you no, know, I, I think anyone who really wasn't I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Anyone who wasn't getting and gaining opportunities with Brad, I don't think they're long for the Celtics world. I really don't.
1: Yeah, it's it's gonna be a fascinating thing to watch. And like you said, you can kind of see firsthand who he trusted and who he didn't, and now he gets to make those choices as we go on here. All right, let's talk about the book here, as we have about um, you know, 10 minutes. I got to take off shake. But so you you talk to you know, hundreds of executives, players, coaches around the league, to kind of look at, and again, the, the the book is called "Built to Lose: How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever." Um, it's available everywhere now. It's it's great stuff. And you have you looked at you know, the Sixers obviously in depth, a ton of other teams in there, including the Celtics who were obviously beginning yeah. a bit of a a rebuild that ended pretty abruptly. Um, but you had some fun, Brad Stevens anecdotes. You know, that you got from there. What what is even stuff that didn't make the book. What, what did it, what's the, what are the nuggets that you think might be of interest for, uh, for C's fans yeah. out there?
0: My favorite Brad Stevens nugget, it, it's in the book. Um, you know, Ron Norad just got hired in Indiana, um, pretty respected young coach in the league. He was a point guard on Brad's Butler teams and was coaching at high school. But when Brad came over to Boston, he brought Ron with him onto his staff and Ron lived in their basement, in their house. I think, um, I don't remember what town off the top of my head, but he's somewhere, you know, right in that vicinity, uh, right in the Waltham vicinity. Um, and, you know, every night they would have dinner. And I think it's really interesting because this is a fight in my family when I go home. My parents, um, they listen to music lightly in the background and they would have dinner and put the kids to bed. And then Brad, Tracy and Ron Norad would. Um, play these super competitive games of Racco. People don't know that game. It's like you have a a plastic rack and you get like 10 cards. And it's kind of like Gin Rummy. You have to pick a card from the pile and swap it out with a card in your rack. But you have to get them in order from descending down or ascending, whatever 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 way you want to look at it. But the only way you can move the cards is by swapping them with a card you pick out of the pile. So it's a little complicated. And to like show Brad's competitive fire... You know, whenever he would win the game, he would sign the score sheet with his big autograph, like a painter, you know, trying to <laughs> put a stamp on the victory. So he's like definitely competitive, even over little board games with his wife and house guests. And you know, I think that he's he's such a cool, calm, collected guy on the sidelines and his press conferences. I've heard that's kind of been something that he kind of modeled after Larry Bird. Larry was like his, his favorite player um, while he was growing up. But like the same thing with Larry, he was that stoic guy. But behind the scenes, I mean, and and below the surface, Berman was, was as competitive as anybody, right? And that the whole fire that that beneath him, I think it's in Brad too. So you know that's why he's he's continued to uh, move up the charts, I guess, if you will, in this basketball world because he just he wants to win. He wants to win at the highest level for sure.
2: It also has a little has. Slightly different priorities than some of those people. I think the fact, and I think you wrote this in one of your stories that like he missed those board, those game nights with his wife, mm-hmm. which is yeah. why some some guys will sacrifice everything to do it. But I think family is probably a little bit more important. And those relationships are more important than Brad than your stereotypical like stone cold killer in the NBA, which is why yeah. I think this position, if he can find success in it, that's really the, the, a perfect situation for him. He could yeah. still be home at night. And because I, I imagine he he'll be on the road at times during the NBA season. But for the most part, if they're, you know, when, when the team's in Milwaukee or, or Utah, or wherever, he'll probably he'll probably be at home. I imagine. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's interesting also to see where he's at now, being that when he got brought in there in 2013, like it was definitely like Brian said, that the rebuild didn't last as long as, as people might have thought it was going to at the onset. Um, but. He was just as much of, like, a kindergarten-y, like, we're going to grow you and nurture you like Brett Brown was in Philadelphia. There was probably more of a of a lens of, like, being competitive and wanting to win. Like, when Jay Crowder first got there, he heard all the talk about tanking and rebuilding and whatever, and he went right to Brad and was like, Brad, are we losing games on purpose here? And Brad was like, no. Like, we have a very stacked deck against us, but I'm going out there every night trying to win. And I think – the way he was able to really work with all those guys and empower them. And from Evan Turner to Jared Sollinger to Kelly Olynyk, like he was so tactful at maximizing all those players' skill sets. And I think a lot of coaches, like aside from all the inter- interpersonal disciplinary stuff with Nate Bjorker in Indiana, like one of the biggest problems I think that everyone talked about with him this year at the Pacers was that he was trying to fit, his roster to his scheme. And Brad was a direct opposite. He didn't even have a scheme. He was designing stuff based off of the strength of his players. And I think that helped them and push Boston back into the postseason so quickly because he was just getting the most out of these guys that weren't supposed to be that good at that point in time.
1: Yeah. It's um, that whole era, just how quickly that changed and how quickly, again, even though from what I heard he'd be, you know, advocate, in the front in those meetings around the trade deadline like to say, Hey, like don't tear this apart. And then that's when you got the Isaiah Thomas trade and some other random parts that turned into something. And then we all know where things went from there. So it is a, uh, it is clear that how big of an impact he had on, you know, just shaping that rebuild out of the gate. But again, this, you, you guys should definitely yeah. check out this book. A lot of cool Celtics anecdotes in there. There's a cool Evan Turner story in there in terms of the old C's hangouts that, like that I really enjoyed checking out. And then, Again, the Sixers, the Bucks, like the Pelicans, Jake really covered it all. So check this out. Great vacation read. Great anytime read to be honest here. But um thank you. Man. Definitely something I'm looking forward to to yeah. finishing going through as once this NBA season or this off season, this grind comes to uh, an yeah. end. Hopefully at some point in August, or we'll say Jake.
2: What, what was your what was your favorite interview? Like, what was your moment where you're like, Oh, I can't believe I'm actually interviewing this guy or or girl for for this book. Was there one interview, one get that really blew your mind? Or
0: um, I mean, I got George Carl for like an hour just like super candidly giving me all this shit on Demarcus Cousins and the infighting <laughs> of and all that kind of stuff. He's still
2: make he's still fighting that fight. Yeah.
0: It's insane. I mean, that's kind of anyone who's read the book always gives me the King's feedback. Like, the King stuff is, like, made for TV. You can't make this up. Um, but honestly, Evan Turner was someone I was chasing for so long. We, like, kind of have a little relationship dating back to his days in Philly. But, like, anyone who's spent time around Evan, like, Ryan knows, he's a different dude. And he'll go from being, like, the most – warm, kind hearted, like put his arm around your shoulder, make fun of you in a kind way to be like, no one fucking talk to me, like leave me alone. I need to go home and like whatever. So he was kind of like messing with me for months, like telling me he's going to call me at this time. And then like calling me that time, like 12 hours later or something like that. And finally, he was on Portland at the time. I think I might've been with Atlanta that one quick st- stint in, with the Hawks. They were just like here for a morning shoot round at the garden. And I just walked up to him and I was like, dude, I need 20 minutes with you, man. Just like, please sit down. And when I got him, he was the man. He was gold. I mean, when he's on, he's on. And like talking about how he was, before we got to Boston, he was like depressed, like thinking about leaving the league. Like he was having this whole kind of quarter life crisis, like identity crisis, thinking, do I even want to be in the NBA anymore? And then he gets to Boston. And I think it's kind of beautiful how Brad and that situation helped him kind of, figure out his career again. And he kind of passed that knowledge back down to all those young guys. And I think played a big factor in IT and Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart and a bunch of those people kind of finding their footing in the league. All
2: right, Jake, last question for you here. Obviously, you know, I think a lot of what you reported on for this book was the time before the NBA made kind of moves to, to restrict uh, tanking a little bit, mm-hmm. to change the way uh, teams approach it. Do you think we've seen the end of of the the tank have we are we on the, the downslope did we reach the height of the tank or the the bottom of the uh, of the tanking era? did these did these moves change the way teams are are actually going to approach things
0: yeah I, I called the tanking era in the book 2012 2016 when this became invoke, when like now it's a talking point that any fan in a bar is like now having right I think the Sam hinkies and the Danny Ainge's and the Rob Hennigan's and the Ryan McDonoughs of the world like Helped streamline this conversation of team building as as being something that's just like common now. But but, the league will pump out their chest and say that they solved tanking with this lottery reform. But we'll see it right now in the 2021 draft class, right? Where it's considered to be the best class since 14. And these top four guys are supposed to be, you know, franchise changing guys. So Orlando and OKC and Detroit and Houston, like they all tanked. And we're going to have this year coming up at a certain point where high school guys are probably going to be back in the fold, and that's going to be long position in the draft. is dependent on your draft record. And as long as smaller market teams are so disadvantaged in free agency, I think we're always going to see tanking happen in the NBA. I just think it's not going to be part of the discourse like it was back then. It was, it was the, it was the number one storyline in the league.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. I mean we'll see how many picks Sam Presti can package here before they further reform the, <laughs> the taking the, 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 lottery odds in the future here, but you're right. It is, yeah. as we see just the evolution of this. And again, even the coaching standpoint, I think this league, is evolving quickly right now. And again, the perspective you provide in this book is like just a great look at it. And I honestly, you'll probably have enough material to write another book on this in another couple of years based on where this Very goes. Good. So, all yeah. right, well, go, give us the final plug here for the book. Like again, where where yeah. can people get it? What's uh, why do you want to, everyone to get it? And what, <laughs> what 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 else have we missed? Um, yeah, it's like a tease for it.
0: I mean, I think you said the you know the league evolving and the perspective about it. Like I talked to so many. I talked to over three hundred people for this book, and I, I'm still talking to people every week. And I you know to bring the what I'm hearing quote unquote to you guys for this and like the NBA really is this, this moving ecosystem of all these moving parts and all these individual actors with their, you know, own agendas. And I, I, the book tells the tanking story through that lens and really peels back the curtain at, you know, execs fighting with their head coach and fighting with agents and players, you know, wanting to get out of there or, you know, get more minutes to, to get their, you know, their next payday. Like all this stuff is happening behind the scenes all the time. And I really wanted to, you know, peel back that layer and bring people truly behind the scenes. And I, I think there's so much from stories to, you know, kind of newsy tidbits There's something in there on every page that's originally reported that people, any, any NBA fans going to love. So if you want to get it on Amazon bookshop.org, my publisher, Triumph Barnes and Noble, that'd be great. If you, if you could rate it and well, review it, if you buy it, that'd be awesome too.
1: Yeah. The most important thing is where do you get the most money? Where should we buy it from to give you the, the most money um,
0: across the board. It doesn't really matter as long, but we, we want print. The Kindle print. is great for uh, the yes. environment, but not as great for me. So did, the, uh, did
2: your girlfriend's father put any pressure on you for, for buying the engagement ring? Like, do we need like with, with these <laughs> funds years away, okay. years okay. away. <laughs> but
0: he got, it, but he's got a copy of the book and he loves it too. So. Okay. Perfect. And his best friend, his best friend's been reading cover to cover. So
1: there you go. Awesome. All right, well again, everyone check it out. Bill to lose, how the NBA is taking air, change the forever. You can get it pretty much anywhere online or in your local bookstore. Jake, thanks so much for coming on. Really great to catch up with you and talk about this book and, and this crazy off season.
0: For sure. Thank you guys and hope to see you in Vegas and you know, Boston or New York sometime soon.
1: See ya.